Welcome to Epiphany Brooklyn's podcast. I am Brandon Watts, lead pastor here at Epiph. Thanks so much for tuning in. Our desire is to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. May God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in each week. Grace and peace. Now, as you guys may be surprised to see that I am not Pastor B. Uh, I send my regards for Pastor B and Lady Ty. They had every intention to be here today. They actually, um, Pastor B really actually prepared to be here in person, but literally um, yesterday morning, the staff got the call that Pastor B actually tested positive for COVID. Um, So if we can just petition our prayers for our pastor, just to pray that he recovers and recovers well so that he can be where he's supposed to be, given our word. So if y'all, y'all can make some noise for y'all pastor. That's okay. That's okay. That's okay. That's okay. So I know what you guys are thinking. I know what you guys are thinking right now. Like I said, Pastor B's not here. So it's like, dang, can this guy really preach? It's like, shoot, this guy only had... <laughs> you, guys, you guys are kind of messing up my intro right now. You're kind of messing up my intro. But I've re- like I said, I mean, like I said, I, only, I, mean, I know I've preached before, but I, I only have really a day to prepare. So I know there's a lot of people who are a little skeptical. It's like, dang, can, this, can he really do it? Like, shoot, can he really do it? And I guess my response to that question would this be asked, can you guys really pray? You know, can you really, like, I don't, I don't find it a coincidence that last week our pastor preached about God using ordinary people. And I find myself sitting before here, an ordinary man. I said an ordinary man trying to preach an extraordinary gospel. So as much as I want to give honor to Pastor B, I give him honor. I don't come here today trying to fill his own shoes, but I have my own shoes today. I come with my own. My shoes aren't as nice, to be fair. You know, our pastor got nice shoes. Our pastor got nice shoes. But while I'm not Pastor B, I believe that I have the same Bible. I believe I serve the same God, and I believe I'm empowered by the same Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen? So I'm excited for today. I really am, just because even though it was a surprise to me that I would be here, God knew before Pastor B was sick that I'll be preaching today. And I believe that God has given us a divine word for his people. So I don't know about y'all, but I'm excited. Are y'all excited? All right, all right, all right. I like to hear that. So I just wanna give honor to the house. I just wanna thank the Epiphany staff. Um, I wanna thank my wife, Adriani, who's always with me. You can just give some noise to my wife, Adriani. Whatever, a lot of you guys know her as Adriani, but I call her my baby mama. Uh, or whatever. We don't got kids yet, but it don't hurt to prophesy a little bit. You know what I'm saying? That's my baby mama right there. That's my baby mama. So we come before you just privileged and honored and humbled to be here. And we're excited for the word that God has. So if you guys could do me a favor, open your Bibles to John 9 for me. We're going to be reading John 9. We'll probably be reading the entire chapter, but we're really going to focus on verses 1 through 7. And then we're going to go to the end reading verses 35 through 38. So once again, we're at John 9. We're going to be reading the passages 1 through 7. Then we're going to jump to the end at verses 35 through 38. If you got it, just say period. I don't know if all of y'all got it. If you got it, say period. All right, say less. Okay, so John 9, it reads as follows. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? 
Then Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with clay. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sin. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Now jump all the way towards the end to verses 35 through 38. Now this is what the passage reads. It says, Jesus heard that they had casted him out. And when he had found him, him being the blind man, he said to him, do you believe in the son of God? He answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said, you have both seen him, and it is he who was talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. The title of our meditation today is going to be called The Tale of Two Miracles. The Tale of Two Miracles. Every head bowed, all eyes closed. Lord, we come before you humbled before the presence of your glory. We thank you, God, that you allowed us to be here. And we just ask for one simple thing. We have one simple request for you today, and that's just have your way. Have your way with me as I'm about to preach your word. Have your way with your people as they're about to um, receive and participate in the preaching of the gospel. Father, we know that the people did not hear to come hear me make clever illustrations or clever um, analogies, Lord, but they came to hear the power of God. And I pray that your power be present and be manifested in all of our lives today. Hide me behind the power of your glory. And we ask that you be able to touch every heart, be able to touch every mind, and be able to transform our lives from this point on forever and evermore. We say this on. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So the tale of two miracles. We're going to be jumping really right in, try to do a um, really just a breakdown of the entire chapter. So I really want to paint a, con a context around the book of John. Now, those of you guys who are familiar with the Bible know that the book of John is a part of what we like to call the Gospels, right? And the Gospels are, consist of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And these Gospels contain stories about the life of Jesus. Now, in reality, we know that the entire Bible is really about Jesus, but the Gospels have a place where they make sure to highlight certain parts of his personhood, so for an example, Matthew talks about Jesus as the messianic king. Mark talks about him as the suffering servant. Luke talks about him as the son of man. But John talks about Jesus as the son of the living God. Now, throughout the book of John, John is purposely depicting that Jesus is not merely human, but he's God. Right? He's working so hard to paint this point across that he even says in John 20 verses, um, John 20 verses 30 through 31 that Jesus did so many signs and miracles that are not recorded in this book. But the things that are written are there to help you believe. 
So in other words, John couldn't contain all the signs, all the teachings, all the miracles that Jesus performed, but he said what he put in here, he strategically wove these passages together to help you build your faith. Now, this is very important because we're, as we're about to read, I want you guys to understand that these passages are there to help you believe. And as what we find ourselves, where we find ourselves in this passage is that Jesus is reaching the peak of his ministry, but he's also reaching the peak of his persecution. Now, isn't that interesting that those things can kind of happen at the same time? That Jesus is reaching the peak of his ministry, but also the peak of his persecution. So if you read a little before like John 6, John 7, John 8, Jesus is stirring a lot of trouble with the Pharisees. He's making a lot of claims that they never heard before. He's calling himself the bread of life. He's saying that he's greater than Moses. He's even saying that before Abraham was, I am. And so the Pharisees are like, hey, nah, I can't let him talk about my mans like that. We're going to have to get him. So they literally try to stone him and try to kill him right now. If you literally read John 8, verses 59, the last chapter of John 8, they say that they're preparing to kill him and going to stone him. But in typical Jesus fashion, Jesus starts to run away and starts to hide. And as Jesus is running away, he comes across this blind man. Now, what we're going to do today is that I know we have a lot of familiarity. This might be a passage that a lot of you guys are familiar with, but I want to challenge us today to take our time. We're really going to walk through this passage verse by verse to make sure we don't miss anything because I believe God has something to say with us, um, to us with this. So pick me up on John 9. We're literally going to read verse 1. Now, this is what it says. It says, now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. Let me read it again. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. Now, if you will allow me, I just want to paint a picture around blind men during this time. Because during the time of the Bible, or if you read a little bit of the New Testament, there are a lot of different encounters with blind men. Like we see two in um, the book of Matthew. We see a couple in the book of Mark. We even see one in Acts. And when you read these Gospels in conjunction, you see there are some common themes that are fined with these blind men. Now, first, they're usually always abandoned. Second, they're almost always by the temple. And third, they're always begging for help. So once again, it's one, they're usually abandoned. Two, they're always by the temple. And three, they are always begging for help. Now, the reason why this is the case is because Blind men were literally considered the outcasts of society. They were the lowest of the low. They were considered bottom feeders. They were literally considered the rejects of their day. And to kind of make this plain, the, the blind men of that time really equate to how we treat the homeless people today. Now, for those of you, all of us are New Yorkers here, so you guys know you've had your fair share of running with the, with the homeless. And you know that the number one rule in New York when you're dealing with homeless people is do not, do not engage. You know that if you're on the subway, if you're in your car, if you're running an errand, your main objective is to avoid homeless people at all costs. Now, I know some of y'all are some holy Christians, consignment super Christians. I was like, you know, I feed the homeless all the time. I'm at the shelter every day. I actually give them money any chance I get. But us real heathens know we don't mess with the homeless. <laughs> 
We don't mess with the homeless like that. You know, anytime they come up here on the train, they're like, can I get some money? You're like, ah, bro, I don't even got cash on me, dog. I don't even really got money on me. And we know we don't mess with the home, especially New York homeless people, because they're a little different. They're a little mutated a little bit. Like their breath stink a little extra. They're always growing an extra toe or extra pinky toe. Like they're just very uncomfortable to be around. And this is where we're at in the text. Someone who should be avoided at all cost is noticed by Jesus. Someone who should be avoided by any means possible is noticed by the son of the living God. Now, my point, this next point I'm about to make is going to sound a little basic, but I have to emphasize that Jesus sees this blind man, but the blind man can't see Jesus. Does that make sense? I said, Jesus sees this blind man and the blind man can't see Jesus. Now, I know, I know it's a little basic. Please give me, I, I only had a day to prepare. So I'm like, I, it, I know it sounds like it's, kill, it's not really that deep. He's blind. I know, I was like, I know, I know. But the reason why I'm emphasizing this point is that this man's physical blindness is a mirror to our spiritual blindness. Are y'all following me? I want to say that again. I said, this man's physical blindness is a reflection of our spiritual blindness. Because prior to salvation, all of us was blind to Jesus. Prior to our salvation, all of us was wandering and searching, begging for someone to answer our needs, begging our relationships to comfort us, begging our jobs to give us security, begging someone, our families to be stable, yet none of them could answer the call. And we're out here begging and begging and begging, blind to the fact that there's a Savior sitting right in front of us. Blind to the fact that the Lord of hosts is sitting right in front of us. Now, I know a lot of y'all, a lot of us feel like you have the testimony like, well, I searched after God. I chased after God with all my heart. But my Bible said none of us wanted him. My Bible says that our heart was deceitful above all else. And not only did we not want God, but we're actually enemies towards God. We were enemies towards him. And while we were blind to Jesus in our sins, And rotting away in the lust of our flesh, a gracious Savior took time to notice you. And that's going to really be the first point today, that Jesus sees you. That even on your lowest of days, Jesus sees you. Despite your best efforts trying to hide your pain, Jesus sees you. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you've been so overcome with pain, so overcome with hurt, that your pain actually makes other people uncomfortable that people try to avoid you because they can't comfort you, that people try to tiptoe around you because they don't have the words to advise you, that people can't have the patience just to sit with you and watch you weep, while the world tries to treat you the way that the Jews treat this blind man, I want to let you know that Jesus is actually in pursuit of you, that Jesus actually has a desire for you, and that even though your mother and your father may forsake you, we have a father in heaven who's ready to receive you. And so in the midst of this, we're all like this blind man. We're all helpless. We're all hopeless. And we're all begging for someone to supply our needs. But Jesus sees. Jesus sees. Now, look, Jesus sees this blind man, but the disciples see him too. But peep how the disciples respond to him. All right, pick me up on verse 2. Now, Verse 2 says, and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, 
that he was born blind. Now, this is important. He's, I'm going to read it again. And the disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, the disciples see this blind man, and they're very confused. And they're looking at Jesus like, hey, yo, what's good with your mans here? What's up with his eyes? Why is he not seeing? Why, why was he born blind? Who sinned for this man to deserve this type of punishment? You see, the disciples thought that way because during this time, the Jew- Jewish culture had an idea that if you were born with a physical disability like paralysis, like blindness, like leprosy, that someone that you either or someone in your family had to sin to cause this type of disformity, right? And this idea stemmed from the belief that there was a direct correlation between what you do and what you experience. Once again, they believed that there was a direct correlation between what you do and what you experience. In other words, that's just a fancy way of saying karma, right? They just believe that what goes around comes around. And even though we might not call it karma, a lot of us believe in the same thing. A lot of us believe that, you know, if I give out good energy, I'll receive good energy. You know what I mean? If I give out good vibes, I'll receive good vibes. Because most of us here, I think, believe that you you reap what you sow. A lot of us here believe that, you know what, I'll reap what I sow. And this is what the disciples are wrestling with Jesus about. They're asking, they want to understand why this man is suffering. They really want to know who's the cause of this blindness. What happened that this illness is is his reality right now? They're asking what went wrong. Now, have you ever found yourself asking that same question? Have you ever found yourself asking yourself, dang, why am I struggling like this? Why am I struggling to graduate? Why did I lose my job? Why can't I find a job? Why are my relationships falling apart? Have you ever asked yourself when everything is going wrong around you, it's like, what did I do? Or what was done to me that caused this? Have you ever asked yourself why? Am I talking to myself? Have you ever asked yourself why? And you're asking yourself who's to blame for this suffering? Because you want to find the source. You're trying to find where the origin is, and this is what the disciples are wrestling with. Are you guys following me? Now, watch how Jesus challenges that way of thinking. Pick me up on verse 3. We're going to read verses 3 through 5. And Jesus answered, saying, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Look at what he says at the top of verse 3. Neither this man sinned or his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Now, this is a game changer. This is a game changer. The disciples are asking whose fault it is, and Jesus said that it's not his mama's fault, it's not his daddy's fault, it's my fault. I wish I had a church. Look, he said, he, he said that it's not his fault. It's not his mother's fault. It's not his father's fault. It's my fault. Now, isn't that interesting to think about that Jesus could be the reason for your suffering? See, I, I know we don't like thinking about it. I know we don't like meditating on that because we like to look at G, um, Jesus as our genie in the, bo- in the bottle. But what if Jesus' claim was true? What if what Jesus is saying right here is true? 
I just told y'all that this was here to help you believe. What if this was true? Because if this is true, that means Jesus is teaching us right now that our present suffering isn't always connected to our past sins. Let me lay that foundation real nice and thick, all right? That our present suffering isn't always connected to our past sins. Because I think sometimes we have an idea that our suffering is connected to something bad we've done in the past. Like, dang, I didn't get that job because I'm not praying hard enough. Oh, dang, I just fell into sin, so my life is about to fall apart. It's like, oh, you know, I was wilding a little too much Friday. Let me go to church on Sunday to kind of even it out. Y'all know y'all think that way. Y'all know y'all think that way. It's like, you know what? If I do a little bad, let me sprinkle it with a little good just to even it out. And I believe we think this way because we look at Jesus like our spiritual Santa Claus. We consider Jesus the same way we look at Santa Claus, that he's making a list that he's checking it twice, that he's keeping a record of everything that you do right and you do wrong, as if Jesus is keeping a tally of your sins. As, Jesus is keep, as if Jesus is keeping a record of everything we do. And I believe we believe this, um, or I believe that we think this way because we think that Jesus treats us the way we treat people. <laughs> Let me sit on that a little bit. I think that we believe Jesus treats us the way we treat people. If any of us would be honest today, y'all know y'all keep a record of everything that was done to you. Y'all know y'all keep a record of every time you were lied on, every time you were cheated on, any time someone hurt you. Y'all know y'all love to say, you know, I could love, but I'll I'll forgive, but I'll never forget. Y'all know y'all love that. Y'all know y'all love that because you keep a record of everything that um, was done wrong. And when you store that in your heart enough, it changes the way you engage with some people. It changes the way you interact with people. It changes the way you're willing to receive people. And I'll be honest, some of y'all think that Jesus treats you the way you treat your dad, the way you treat your mom, the way you treat your ex-boyfriend, the way you treat your ex-girlfriend, the way you treat the people that hurt you. We look at God and think that he treats us the way we treat people. But thankfully, my God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he needs to repent. So when God tells me that as far as the east is from the west, I wish y'all read y'all Bible, as far as the east is from the west, so far I've removed your sins from you, that means that Jesus isn't keeping a tally of my sins, that means he's removing them. (laughs) Jesus is not keeping a tally of your sins, he's removing them. That means every time you fall, he's removing it. Every time you sleep up, he's slip up, he's removing it. Every time you mess up, he's removing it. So the reality is that our present suffering isn't always God's punishment for us, but it's God working his purpose in us. Someone ought to say amen to that. Our present suffering isn't God's punishment for us, it's God's working his purpose in us. Now, this isn't to say that there isn't consequences for your sins. Or God doesn't chastise or discipline you because the Bible says in Hebrews 12 that those he loves, he chastises. Those he loves, he actually corrects. But there's a difference between punishment and discipline. Right? Where's my gentle parent in that? Where's my gentle parent? We know that punishment, <laughs> y'all like that one. Yeah. We know that punishment is condemning you for your wrongdoing. But discipline is correcting you for your wrongdoing. And I'm thankful that I serve a God who's willing to correct me if I stray away too long, who's willing to correct the course to make sure I'm following him up and straight right if I walk too long. And this should be an encouragement to someone because that means you're not struggling right now because you did something wrong. You might be in this season because God is working something right. 
You see, you're not here. Let me say that one more time. Let me not pace myself. I said, you're not in this season because you did something wrong, but God might be working something right. I know things might be bleak right now, but I believe that God is working something right in you. <laughs> you know, and I'm not, I really need to be clear because I'm not trying to gaslight anyone. There's a lot of people who come here with heavy burdens. There's a lot of y'all who are carrying situations that are unexplainable, that I couldn't even imagine how you're feeling. But there are many burdens in life that we'll suffer through, things that we can't control, things that we can't anticipate, things that we can't even reason with. And I'm not here today to tell you why you're suffering, but I'm here to remind you who's with you in the midst of it. I'm here to remind you that we serve a God who will walk with you in the midst of it. And if he's walking with you in the midst, I can say with full, cons- with full confidence that pain isn't your destination. That your tears won't be wasted if you place them at the feet of Jesus. That your pain won't be wasted if you trust them with Jesus. Now, Jesus says here that he's about to work the works of God through this blind man. Now, isn't anybody curious on how he's about to do it? I am. Now, pick me up on verse 6. Watch what he says, on, watch what Jesus does on, in verse 6. The Bible reads, when he said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with saliva. And he anointed the hands of the blind man with clay. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Now we're about to dissect a lot of things in these passages right now, because there's a lot of things to derive from it. And I think the most important thing for us to really meditate on is that this is disgusting. <laughs> like, like, I love my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, but this is nasty. <laughs> this is mad nasty. I mean, Jesus literally spat on the ground and played with the mud. And you have to think, it had to have been a lot of spit for him to form clay out of it. You know, now it's the spit of God, to be fair, but that, that's just kind of uncomfortable to think about. And now the the obvious question is, why did Jesus do that? Why? He could have easily told the man that, hey, yo, open your eyes. You can see now. He could easily done it there. But I just told you that the works of God is about to be revealed to this man. I just told you that the God is about to, that means anything we're about to read now, everything that we're reading now is how God works his glory through us. Now, a lot of commentators say a lot of things about this passage. But my favorite commentary actually comes from our last Bible study on miracles this past Wednesday. Now, if you were at Bible study this past Wednesday, you know that Pastor B taught us that miracles are not a suspension of the natural order. Instead, it's a return to the natural order. Let me say that one more time, because this is really good. I love this point. It said, Pastor B said, miracles are not a suspension of the natural order. Instead, it's a return to the natural order. In other words, miracles are not a violation of law in nature. Instead, it brings us back to God's original intention in Genesis 1 and 2. Now, if we can understand that, that means I can say with full confidence that what Jesus is doing here is mirroring how God created Adam in the garden. Now, I know y'all don't believe me. I know y'all, but let me do a quick Bible study. Let me do a quick Bible study for y'all. Y'all don't got to turn there, but y'all know in Genesis 2, God created Adam from the dust of man, yeah? All right, he created Adam from the dust of man. The Bible says that God took the dust, breathed life into it, and from that life was birthed Adam and Eve. Are y'all with me? 
Now, if we fast forward, right, to Genesis 3, we know that God commanded Adam and Eve not to eat of, you can, that they can um, literally eat from any tree in the garden except for this one tree called the tree of good and evil. Now, we know, spoiler alert, they, they, ate, they, ate from the, um, they ate from that tree. Shout out to my city girl, Eve, or whatever. And <laughs> Come on, y'all know, y'all know Eve would have been a city girl. Y'all know Eve would have been a city girl. I love my city girls. But y'all know, <laughs> y'all know. But fast forward, fast forward. We know that Adam and Eve disobeyed and they fell into sin, right? We fell into sin. Now, if we read Genesis 3, verses 19, it's interesting to me what God tells them. Now, in Genesis 3, we see that after they fell, this is what God says. He says, cursed is the ground for your sake. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Let me say that one sentence. God said that cursed is the ground for your sake. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. So let's do a quick recap, all right? Now, we know that humanity was created from the dust, a.k.a. the ground, a.k.a. the mud. Yeah? Now, we know that, I mean, that means that the essence of our personhood was connected to the ground. And because of the fall, humanity has now been struck with a curse. Right? Humanity has now been struck with a curse, the curse of sin. Now, with that understanding, now let's look at what Jesus done in John 9. Now, Jesus took dust and used it to heal this blind man. So that means that Jesus right now in this passage is symbolically taking the essence of man, the dust, the ground, that which, was, what, that which once was cursed, and using what was cursed and refashioning it, repurposing it to bring this man about new life. That means Jesus is using what was cursed to bring about life. Now, y'all might have just missed that. Y'all might have just missed that because I just preached the gospel to you in two minutes <laughs> because this is, the, this is the message of the gospel that Jesus being high up in heaven, holy and matchless, saw that we were cursed with a sin that we couldn't overcome in our own. So in our response to our curse, Jesus became a curse. <laughs> Jesus wrapped himself in flesh to become a curse. He took our curse and hung it on a cross. For the word says, curse the man who hangs off a tree. Hung it on the cross and Jesus brought death to the curse and brought life to the cursed. See, <laughs> I feel like I'm on my Oprah right now. I feel like I'm on my Oprah right now. I said, I, feel, I said that Jesus brought death to a curse and brought life to the Oh, y'all weren't with me. Y'all weren't with me. Y'all weren't with me. Y'all weren't with me. I won't do that again, I promise. I won't. <laughs> but that should be an encouragement to somebody because a lot of y'all feel like you're suffering under a curse. Some of y'all feel like you're suffering under generational curses, under generational trauma, under a curse of addiction, under a curse of lustfulness, under a curse of divorce in your family. But I'm here to remind someone that Jesus broke the curse. <laughs> I'm here to remind someone that Jesus broke the curse. And we can rest our hearts on this, that Jesus can take what the enemy meant for evil and turn it for good. You ought to look to somebody right now and say, Jesus is turning it for good. He's turning it for good. Now, can I show y'all something else about this passage? I told you, we're going to spend a lot of time right here. Can I show y'all something else? Now, isn't it crazy that Jesus touched this man? He even anointed this man, yet he still couldn't see. You see, now I don't know if you guys are Pentecostal, but Pentecostal loves anointed people. They love putting somebody's head like, hey! <laughs> you know what I mean? Now, that, I just told y'all, we love anointing, but we, I just told y'all that Jesus himself anointed somebody and yet they weren't healed. 
Y'all not listening to me. I said, Jesus touched somebody and they weren't even healed. Now, what's interesting to me is that the man's healing wasn't connected to the hand of God, but it was connected to following the word of God. Y'all not gonna like me today. Y'all ain't gonna like me today. Y'all ain't gonna like me today. I, I said that the man's healing was not <laughs> the man's healing was not connected to the hand of God, but by following the word of God. Now I gotta make sure to make this clear, or Pastor B's gonna beat me. Because, <laughs> but I pro- I'm not here to insinuate that your salvation or that your blessings are work based. This is not what I meant to say, but I am here to tell you that on a practical level, sometimes you can't be healed if you refuse to go. Let me say that one more time. Let me say that one more time. I said, sometimes you can't be healed if you refuse to go. Sometimes you can't be healed unless you have that tough conversation, sis. Sometimes your marriage can't be restored until you you start going to couples counseling. Sometimes your mind can't be renewed unless you start therapy. There are some things that you have to put a step out on faith on. And the reason I know it took a measure of faith for this man to follow Jesus. It took a measure of faith for this blind man to follow Jesus. Now ask me how. How? Now, it's, I, I like that. I like that. Now, I knew it took a measure of faith because watch this. Now, I want y'all to listen to this. Watch this. Jesus never promised that the man would be healed if he went to the pool. I want y'all to listen to that. Jesus never guaranteed the man's healing if he went to the pool. Now, the question is, if he wasn't guaranteed healing, why did he follow? Where did his faith come from? Where did it root from? Now, like I said, now I can't necessarily prove it, but you can't necessarily disprove it. So entertain me a little bit. Now, we know that faith comes by what? By hearing. Hearing the word of God. Now, we know that the man couldn't see Jesus, but I wonder if he heard his conversation with the disciples. I wonder if he heard that Jesus was about to manifest his glory through his life. I wonder if he resolved in his heart that, look, I don't know what's about to happen at that pool, but I know if I go, God's glory is on the other side. I wonder if he resolved in his heart that, you know what, I'm searching for God's glory on the other side. Now, see, this is for y'all who who don't understand why God called you to abstinence. See, this is for y'all who don't understand why God is calling you to be in a DNA group or to be generous or to just be sacrificial. Some of y'all don't understand the things of God, but I ask you, will you do it for the glory? Will you do it if I told you that glory was on the other side? Would you listen to him if I told you that glory was positioned on the other side? Now, do you know a second reason I knew was faith? Ask me how. Now, the reason why I know this man followed Jesus in faith is because you have to ask yourself, we just said that the man's healing was connected to going to the pool, yeah? His healing was connected to washing in the pool. Now, you have to ask yourself, this is why I said take your time. Take your time when reading. You have to ask yourself, how does a blind man find a pool? I'm like, I... Ask yourself, how does a blind man find a pool? This man had to go searching through the city, scouring through the city just to obey the command of Jesus. Now, it's even crazier when you consider that the temple where they were at were in the center of the town and the pool was positioned on the outskirts of town. Now, can you imagine? I want you to imagine. Can you imagine this blind man searching his way? fighting his way just to obey Jesus, fighting his way just to obey the Son of God. It's interesting to me because it seems that Jesus commanded the man to do something beyond his capacity. 
<laughs> Y'all not listening to me. I said, Jesus commanded the man to do something beyond his capacity. And now I want to talk to some of y'all because some of y'all, Jesus has placed a burden in your heart, has placed a calling in your heart, but because you can't see what he's doing, you refuse to go. Because you can't understand what he's doing, you refuse to listen. There's some of y'all, God has been called you to leadership. God has been asked you to serve. God has been put an idea for a business, but because you can't understand or fathom how he's going to do it, you refuse to go. You refuse to go. Now, this man has been, has been blind his entire life. He's been blind his entire life, and he's resolved in his heart that he's desperate enough to follow Jesus, that he's hungry enough to follow Jesus. Now, and this is why I believe God sometimes has to place you in a place of desperation, put you in a place where he takes all of your other options just to follow him. Just because I, if we were to be honest, can we be honest today? A lot of us trust God and we trust our bank account. <laughs> a lot of us trust God and we trust our job. A lot of us trust God and we trust our marriage. And I think you have a hard time following God because you think the other options are more reliable. You think the other options are more consistent. You, see, you give a lot of credit to your house for providing you shelter. You give a lot of credit for, for your job for, to providing for you. And this is why God sometimes has to strip you from everything that you've put your trust in over him just to show you that there's no life except through Christ and Christ alone. Sometimes, I know some of you guys are in a season where you feel like you're struggling, but I promise that God it might just be stripping you just to show you that it's only him, that it's only been him. Now, it's interesting to me that we see that this man has just been cured from blindness. Now, I want you to just imagine, I want you to take a second, just to imagine how this man is feeling to be healed. Just to, he's been blind his entire life. I can, I can only imagine that he was fantasizing of how it meant, how it would feel to see. That his life would be a little easier if he could just see. That his circumstance would be different if I could just see. Like, man, God, if I could just see, I know things would be different. This man, I feel like, is carrying that, but I want you to look at how the people respond to him, to how the people respond to this miracle. Now, we're going to jump a little bit, so I want you guys to pick me up on verse 13. Pick me up in John 9, verse 13. The Bible says this, they brought him, him being the blind man, who was formerly blind to the Pharisees. Now it was the Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also asked him, saying, how had he received his sight? He said to him, he put clay on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others says, how can a man who was a sinner do such things? And there was division among them. They said to the, man, to the blind man again, what do you say about him? Because he opened your eyes. He said, he's a prophet. 18, but the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. And they asked saying, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then now does he see? Verse 20, his parents answered him and said, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but by what means he sees, 
we do not know, or who opens his eyes, we do not know. He is of age. Ask him yourself. He will speak for himself. Now, I need to take a quick break just because I want to just highlight something. Now, I just told y'all, I just told y'all that this blind man was abandoned and on the outskirts of town. He was just abandoned. Yet we see he has parents. Not only that, his parents are actually in the same community as he is. They're literally just a block over. Now, isn't it interesting how you can have a present parent, but it doesn't mean that you have an active parent? Isn't it interesting that you can have someone right in front of you, but they refuse to answer your needs? That they refuse to help you? That they refuse to be with you? Now, look at this. Now, I have to, you have to ask yourself, what type of town doesn't rejoice at the fact that a miracle just happened among them? What type of people don't rejoice? They've seen this man all his life. And now they see that he sees, and instead of being in uproar, instead of rejoicing, they're questioning. They're in disbelief. They're trying to discredit him. And I found that interesting because I think sometimes we like to keep people to who they used to be. Sometimes it's easier for us to keep people to who they were instead of acknowledging who they are now. Because sometimes you don't like to admit it, but you like to keep people according to who they were to vindicate your pain that they did to you to vindicate the pain of how they hurt you, or to just really just justify your own status. Now, I only, I'm short on time, so let me show you guys what happens with this man in the center. So if you guys know the story, we know that they, it's, there's, there's, a, there's a continual back and forth, like, who did it? He's like, I don't know. How did he do it? I don't know. Who is he? Man, I don't, I don't know. And he's, all he says is like, look, all I know is that I was blind, but now I see. Right? I was blind, but now I see. Now watch him. Watch in verse 30 what he says to the Pharisees. Verse 30. The man answered and said to him, why this marvelous thing that you do not know where he is from, yet he has opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears them. Since the world began, it has been unheard that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not God, he could do nothing. They answered and said to him, you, com- you, you were completely born in sins, and you are teaching us? And they casted him out. Now, this is so interesting to me because this man ends the chapter the same way he started abandoned by the temple and begging for someone to help him. This man ends the chapter the same way he starts it. Now, he, I just told you, could he, I, I bet he was imagining that opening his eyes, being able to see would change his life. I bet he was telling him that, man, if I saw, everything would be changed, but yet he finds himself in the same place. Now, isn't it funny how underwhelming the things we pray for can be? Isn't it funny how underwhelming, once you get the thing you've prayed for, how it just underwhelming it felt? I don't know if you've ever been at a place where you've been praying for something so desperately, believing that it would change your life. That if only I can get this new job, if only I got a little extra money, if only I could get married, and only if I got this new house, life would be just a little easier. And when God finally answered that prayer, you actually end up more depressed than you were before. Isn't it interesting how the things that you pray for can just be underwhelming? Because I tell you, we'll never fully receive our blessings if we equate the gift to greater than the giver. (laughs) You see, we'll never receive 
the blessing, if we equate the gift greater than the giver, the blessing was not connected to the gift, but it was connected to the presence of the giver. It was connected to the presence that Jesus was with him, that Jesus is with you. Now, this man ends up abandoned. He ends up forsaken. He ends up kicked out of his community. Yet Jesus finds him again. (laughs) Yet Jesus finds him again. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of God? He answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Now, this is probably my most important point right here, because we're talking about the tale of two miracles. And the interesting thing is that this man eyes has, um, has been physically healed, but he's still spiritually blind to the Savior sitting right in front of him. The man has been physically healed. He just got everything he ever asked for, but he's still spiritually blind that Jesus is standing right in front of him. He's still spiritually blind to the fact that his Savior is looking at him dead in his eye. And you see, the greatest miracle in this passage isn't that the man has an eye to see, but Jesus opens his heart to see. Jesus opens the man's heart to see. And I believe that as a church, we're in a season of where we're praying for miracles, we're praying for signs, we're praying for wonders. And I believe that all of that is good, but don't get it twisted. The greatest miracle we witnessed today was these 10 people getting baptized. The greatest miracle that you'll ever witness. These 10 people put it all on the line for cross because they have now the testimony that I was blind, but now I, now I see. And this should be our heart as a church, that my prayer is that, God, if, I, if you give me the blessing but don't give me you, you can keep it. If I get everything I ever asked for but I don't get you, you can keep it. I know I want the house, but give me Jesus. I know I want the marriage, but give me Jesus. I know I want the job, but give me Jesus. Because I believe that Jesus is the answer to all that I need. I'm here to tell someone that the thing that you're searching for won't satisfy you, but Jesus can sustain you. (laughs) The same way he met this blind man is the same way that he's um, meeting you today. You didn't come here out of your own volition. You didn't come here out of your own desire. But I believe God God placed you here to let you know that he's been in pursuit of you this entire time. The last question that I have is that the blind man in verse 38 said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. His response to seeing his savior was was to worship. My question to you is, what would your response be today? How will you respond to the fact that Jesus came and looked for you? Not only did he look for you, he decided to die for you. What will your response be to him? We're about to enter into a moment of communion. But I wonder, as we do communion and we tell ourselves that we're remembering the things that Jesus did on the cross, what will be your response? What will be your response outside of this room that Jesus saved you? What would your response be at your job? What would your response be with your family? What will your response be in your home? My question today is that as we're believing that God to open our hearts and open our eyes, let your response be to worship and to worship him and him alone. Every head bowed, all eyes closed. Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you for you've done it again. We thank you, Lord, because you've decided to place 
your hand upon us and you decided to reveal your glory to us. Lord, Father, we just pray, Lord, that as anyone, Lord, who is struggling, Lord, with this passage and they're asking themselves like, yes, I know that God sees me, but can he do anything about my situation? Can he really touch me? Can he really heal me? Can he really change my circumstance? And Father, I pray, Lord, that you manifest your word to be true in their lives today. Many of them feel heavy and burdened, Lord, with the idea that despair has been chasing them, that hardship has been their portion, that despair has been overwhelming them. But Father, let your word be true to let them know that surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life that you are in constant pursuit of them and have the best intentions for them and that you are not a man that you should lie, that we can put our full trust and confidence in Christ and in Christ alone. We say this all in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.